Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia. I'm here with Joel Nayum, and we are sitting across from the lovely Claire Bowditch. Welcome, Claire. Well, how do you do? Thanks do so much have. for coming in. It is such a thrill to be here. I can't <laughs> tell you, truly. We've been anticipating your, your visit. It's yes. been very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I've been anticipating it too. I've been doing wrist exercises because I was told I had to, I, well, I was invited to sign some things. But um, <laughs> what a thrill. And I have to apologise in advance because I don't know how articulate I am about talking about this book yet. You're, you're one of the first people who's asked me about it. We hear that a lot. We hear that a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's usually... Yeah. So, We're usually I, the first stop. Yes, <laughs> we are usually the first stop. So we are used to that. You could prompt me That's at any okay. Time. <laughs> uh, but it's very friendly. It's no hard-hitting questions. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't think I'm, in, I'm capable of hard-hitting questions. So. <laughs> I listened to the Neil Gaiman one um, recently. Um, and I, I love hearing about other authors' mm. books, so it's quite surreal and delightful to be in this position. Thank you. Yeah, you must feel it must be weird to become. I mean, you wear many hats, uh, you know, you musician, uh, journalist, right, hardly, uh, and many other things. Yeah. So, how does it feel to be an author? <laughs> so, um, oh, absolutely wonderful. Um, it's just starting to dawn on me. Really, I, I've had this dream for twenty. Oh, more than 20 years. So the idea for this book came to me very early at 21 and I knew it would take a couple of decades till I worked up the guts to actually do it. So it's it's a delight. I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to have written a book, you know, this thing that I thought, gosh, am I going to, what am I going to regret if I haven't done it at the end of my life? And I think um, writing the book I've always wanted to write was right up there on the top of the list. Mm. And that book is Your Own Kind of Girl, which is based off a song you wrote. Well, the title, title yeah, yeah. absolutely. The title's based off a song that I wrote in 2000, I think it was 2008, um, called Your Own Kind of Girl. And it's a song that I would often get asked about. So the song is about a young woman um, who's got chocolate in her mouth and she's longing to be like the other girls, but there's a voice inside her saying, you you weren't born to be like the other girls. So she's feeling that... um, you know, that sense of not belonging and of playing at who she is in the world and the deeper purpose is calling her. I haven't made it sound very much like a pop song, have I? But it is, you know, <laughs> and it's one of the songs that I get asked about a lot. And it's also one of the songs where I spoke for the first time in public about the history, the childhood history I had of struggling with um, my size in the world, thinking I was always too big. Um, and yeah, that's one of the the things that inspired me to finally get myself together and write this book because I realised we're hungry to have this conversation and how can we have it, you know, I'll, I'll tell my story, mm. that part of it anyway. Mm. There's a real element in this book, and I think that's a good way of putting it, that people are hungry for that conversation, ironically. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> um, but there, there is this sense in the book of you just being too much of a person. <laughs> Same more. inside this, what? Ti- yeah, this no. tiny little girl's body and you just yeah. were always so much you know yeah um and you I, th- I think I've only been aware of you for a few years and and that that's your persona now out in the world yeah but when you were a kid you had to some t- somehow come to terms with that on a number of different levels correct spot on so I know when people write memoirs it's often and they've had a sort of career in the public eye as, as I have, you know, relatively modest really by comparison to my friend's music career and so on. Um, but often when it comes to a memoir, we expect that story. We expect the sex and drugs and rock and roll and there's, you know, there's a touch of it. But this <laughs> is really the story of before all of that and the internal impulses that compete within us. And we know that we're born to do something, but we have no idea how that's going to play itself out in the world. We don't know where we belong. And I had that feeling in my bones from a really young age 
and I, I, I know it's it's really common, but I think it was additionally complicated by complex grief by losing my sister Rowena when she was seven and I was five and she'd lived in the children's hospital for two years. So my early childhood, I was always aware that life is short and we must make hay while the sun shines. Um, but I had that pressure of, but what the, you know, what could I possibly do that would be worthy of that? And it was just a bit much pressure, my friends. <laughs> yeah, and that pressure, I mean, not to impugn your mum, but it's, this, it's <laughs> what your mum said to you, right? Is, you know, I, I lived for you because you still needed me and it would have been so hard for me to, to cope otherwise, right? My darling mum, so I'm the youngest of five, all born 18 months apart. And I've got to say, people often say to me, your parents during that time of holding the family together, you know, weren't they extraordinary? And that is all, you know, absolutely correct. I'm their biggest fans. I don't know now as a parent how the hell they held themselves together. But one of the things that my mum said to really encourage us was, you know, thank goodness for you. I I don't know what I would have done as you said, Joel, I don't know what it would have done without you. And that was meant as a loving statement and it was a loving statement. But we internalise these things and for me that really, you know, at the age of five, the age of magical thinking as um, psychologist, psychologist Jean Piaget called it and as Joan Didion titled that mm. incredible mm. book um, about grief, you know, we, we take in these stories and we, we create magic out of them as kids. So I was terrified all the time that something would happen to me and if I didn't exist, where would my mother be? And so that became a really strong story that I would tell myself. And in a way, this is a memoir of the stories we tell ourselves and what happens when we believe them. I think it's that simple. Um, And that was, you know, I had to work quite diligently to understand that it was me who was telling myself those stories and it was me who was going to have to change them. And there were stories that were like... In the beginning of your book, you talk about having this tape recorder and you would just sing to people all day. And so it's first those stories are like they're beautiful and they're happy and then there's that awful moment where they switch to being a little bit more critical and then they go really critical and it's just such an awful thing to realise a child's experiencing that. I think my mother reading it was shocked and Mm. the family and my friends, you know, these are not things that we know by looking at someone, which is... Um, just I just had to whack the microphone there because I got a bit <laughs> excited. But these are not things we can know by looking at each other. You know what the story of their internal, their inner critic or their inner dialogue is, what their survival brain is doing. Um, and you know, even as I'm speaking this story now, there there will always be a little part of me that will say, "Can't you just shush? Like, you know, could you just keep? Could you just could you just be normal, please? Stop talking about these things, you know." Um, and it's really my role as an artist to keep talking back to that voice. Yeah, that voice. I think you capture that voice inside very you well, yeah. very, very well. That, and it starts off sort of as a bad feeling mm-hmm. and then it sort of articulates itself into this almost like another personality that mm. um, is constantly doing you wrong. Um, we had Brie Lee in the other day talking about her book and in her uh, her newest book it's all about this idea that you have a, a second self, that a, an ambitious self that is constantly, it's you're trying to live up to. And I've had that 
very strong sense in in your book reading this because I read them so close together (laughs) (laughs) that they've melded into this uh, awful pyramid (laughs) erected (laughs) to uh, female despair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But what I wanted to ask actually is about, um, I mean, reading this, I also thought a lot about um, my little girl who's almost two and I wondered, like reading what your mum said to you Mm. and how I, I... don't know how you could I mean she said the right things mm. to my mind she said the right things yeah and yet you still ended up where you ended up so to contextualize it for yeah. for, for you the listener when I was um I was I was always a big girl mm. and I never thought there was anything wrong with that I really enjoyed being inside my big body and then I turned three and one of the chaps at kinder who I had a massive crush on told me I was too big and it played like a loop in my head this idea of too big and at the time you know I I can look back now as an adult and say that was actually a traumatic time my sister who I shared a bedroom with had suddenly gone to hospital and I was told she was going to you know she was not going to live and I didn't know what that meant as a kid so there was a lot going on and this loud voice in my head telling me I was too big in a way was kind of um, comforting because at least I wasn't on my own you know and it's a curious thing about the survival brain and how it actually works um, so that's the context of of the question. And I, what happened was I then became quite anxious. And can I, can I just say this is a hopeful book? You know, it, it we, really we, is. Yeah. It really and, is. And I it feel was like quite funny. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, and it was written to to be um, so that people can understand themselves in a way, and also just to be enjoyed, really. So you can just enjoy the book for what it is. But if you want to engage in the questions it asks, one of the questions it asks is, how do we treat young women um how do we how do we present the the notion of value to them so i tell this story that when i was 10 after really being a big girl uh i went on my first diet because i was sick of the teasing sick of being called fatty bombar you know as i wandered down the school hall and um sick of having to joke about myself all the time in order to get social currency so i went on a really really extreme diet under a doctor's supervision I came back from primary school and nobody recognized me and it was I'd grown tall and suddenly I understood currency in a different way and it felt so good to get that approval and there was a part of me in which it felt so wrong kept thinking what's wrong with us that you know I'm the same Claire Bowditch as I was when I was a little fat kid now I'm a thin kid and why am I suddenly treated like I matter more? And it set a tone, you know, a, a cycle, really common cycle, which is not spoken about, which I know so many of you have been through where we um, diet and binge, diet and binge, and weight goes up and down. I call it my piano accordion body. And it really set me up to ask questions about, so why do we matter? And what is it about society? What are the questions we're asking of women that make them feel that they need to be thin before they begin their real lives or their real work in the world? It's just such an added burden to all the other shit. All it's already shit. going on. Like you've already got you've already got a life planned out for yourself. I mean, you are a great list maker. Love uh, a good list. Love a good list. <laughs> love make a me good feel safe. Life goals, <laughs> constantly articulated and re-articulated in this book in adorable and hilarious fashion. And but, very secret, you know. Well, These are my diaries that you're reading. Yeah. 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 But um, you know, it just feels like it's this like. Mm. It's fat that floats yes. on the surface that yeah. you have to like yeah. constantly wade through to get to to anything. To and me, it's so unfair. Yeah, it does feel, and I know that the, it's actually I, I speak about it from a woman's perspective because I'm a woman. This pressure exists for my sons and for my daughters now. You know, it's not the society has changed, and there are different pressures. But 
talking from my own experience, the pressure was enormous and it came to a crescendo and it was really difficult um, to think that I would ever recover from the dark, dark place that I got to when I was 21. The reason I wrote this book is because in that dark place I had a hopeful thought. A couple of things happened. You know, I read a great book by a woman called Dr Claire Weeks and I learnt a really simple technique for managing my anxiety and panic, which I call faffle, and I write about in this book. And you know, I don't want to, you know, ruin the whole book for you here, but <laughs> the the point for me was it was in that darkness that I I made my promise one day if I have something useful to share, I'm going to write this book and I'm going to tell this story, all the bad bits, and all the good bits, and all the uncomfortable bits. I'm going to tell it because I know. Um, how much hearing a hopeful story helped me at the time. So that's that's really the the genesis behind it. It just took me a long time to be able to process the experiences that I'd had. And that's such a dark age as well. Like, I don't know, I sometimes feel that as soon as I left high school and all of that <laughs> endless barrage of messaging about love yourself, love your body, and then it stops as soon as you leave that collective little bubble of high school and then you're just out there in the world. And then Instagram and all that social media started coming in and you just feel like, so much like you feel, I feel like mm. sometimes that I had worse self-esteem as a young 20 something year old than I did in high school I think what we can do yeah. ironically in a way is create a dependence um, for all of us where we look outside ourselves for mm. that external validation and what I, I I've sort of realized in my life as I've done you know things that I wanted to do that have scared me write books and you know become a mother and write songs those kind of things Um, our nexus of control is when we learn to internally um, back ourselves how do we do that truthfully without yeah you can do it (laughs) hey everybody without falsehood you know without um, affirmations that are more pressure inducing than not you know is, is there any way we can actually talk back to the voice of doubt in our heads in in a, in a way that is playful and light and get on with our business of doing these wonderful things that we want to do with our lives. So we, we kind of set our girls and our boys up to keep looking outside. And I've, I've just found it just didn't work for me in the end, you know. It just didn't um, – 21, you're, you're out, you're on your own, you're in the world, you're trying to make your dreams come true and you already feel like you're losing. You already feel like <laughs> it's too late – Everyone else has already done it and learning to nip that in the bud and have a good chat with yourself is just, I don't know, it's, it's been the secret of my modest success. Yeah. It has. And I think that, that one of the fascinating things, to go back to Dr. Claire Weeks, who is having a bit of a cultural moment at the moment, there's a, a very good biography of her out at the moment. Judith Hall. Uh, yes, which we, you should read. <laughs> I've, I've read it cover to cover. No, you, not you. No, you, <laughs> you. guys have to read it the the coincidence is extraordinary it's amazing it's a big part of your book it's a huge part of my book but also i've been so curious all my life i never Mm. heard anyone talk about dr claire weeks i kept sort of recommending her on the internet people like who yeah and she was a pioneer she's the first australian female to get a doctorate at the sydney university she was a soprano singer and then a gp before that she was a um, zoologist and she created this basically a little self-help book called self-help for your nerves um, that helped both myself and uh, I think, you know, Judith would say that it also helped her, made her curious. Um, and so we got in contact with each other because she's written an extraordinary biography that really tells the story mm. behind this mysterious and very cool 
um, front runner in mindfulness who was who was derided her whole life because her technique was seen as being irrelevant because it was so simple. Mm. It saved my life. And it's articulating that putting a framework around anxiety in a way that makes sense to a modern audience, except it came so early. And one of the things I think that you articulate from her ideas in the book really well is this idea that your brain tricks itself to keep you alive, that um, traumatic events like what happened with you, um, with your sister, um, cause you to have all these negative thoughts in order to provoke a brain reaction that will then keep you alive out of just pure adrenaline almost. The fight or flight response, Mm. correct. And we didn't need to be neuroscientists to understand this technique. She, mm. she said it's, you know, not, in case you don't, you're not in a position to get my book or do this book or Claire Week's book at the moment, I'm going to, and you're someone who suffers from acute anxiety as I once did, um, here it is. Faffle, face, accept, float and let time pass. I call it faffle. She didn't call it faffle because <laughs> she was... Um, she was a proper cultivated Australian. <laughs> this is how she was being. I'm going to do it. This is Dr. Claire Weeks. No, this is, hang on one more time. This is Dr. Weeks speaking. I'm speaking to you directly. And she would use the word at the time. It was so radical. She said, you can be cured of anxiety. Now, anxiety, you know, of chronic anxiety. Anxiety is a normal, natural part of the, fem- of the human physiology. And it was one of the things that allowed me to, you know, in sort of get on with my childhood after I looked death in the face and, and uh, you know, my siblings as well. But holy bajoli, it was so useful to have just a little framework that explained um, how you can come back from there and that cure and recovery is possible. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. And, you know, I highly recommend people have a read of your book because I just think it is such a hopeful experience. Mm. Um, before we wrap up, which I don't really want to do, but but we will have to. Is it because <laughs> the plane is waiting? The plane is waiting. The plane is waiting. And uh, I don't want to wrap up either. It's yeah, lovely but, but, to chat um, with you. I, I, to, to finish, perhaps, we'll uh, maybe ask what, what's next on your list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know you have a list. So what's next on it? Well, look, when I was 20, uh, 20 just before I went, moved to London, it's one of the stories I tell in this book, um, I wrote a list called My Amazing Life. <laughs> and I said I want to write a novel, make beautiful music, act in the theatre with inspiring humans, learn a language, run like the wind, help people fit in, travel to every country, make a million dollars and smile when my children have babies. You know, this was my list as I wrote it down and it, I, I turned it into a song, which is why I remember it so clearly. Um, most of the things on that list, I am grateful to say, thanks to what I learned when I was 21, I have been able to enjoy and do. Writing the book, obviously, it was, I said write a novel is the truth of it. Now, mm. is a memoir technically a novel? I'm, I, I'm pretty sure you have a novel in you too. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's next on my list. <laughs> um, I would love to write more. I, I've just loved the experience of writing. It's the most brilliant traumatic experience I've ever had is writing a book <laughs> living in your 90 for for almost a year is just a wonderful thrill no I've really enjoyed it and I want to keep writing at the moment to be honest we want you to keep writing yeah <laughs> thank you I really appreciate it thanks for getting behind the book it's weird you. it's weird releasing your own book into the world but I'm really really relieved well, well I think it's a everyone will be, book. yeah I think thank everyone will be really too. happy to get this book I really appreciate it make sure you write to me and let me know what you think okay <laughs> oh we will <laughs> so I think we need to wrap up because we are running slightly over time but that's fine 
because this has been a wonderful chat. Thank you so much, Claire, for coming in. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you both for having me. And if you're listening at home, um, you can buy this book that was over 20 years in the making. Your Own Kind of Girl by Claire Bowditch is available online at Booktopia. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.